the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Fetty. It is Thursday, August 3rd. We, uh, we took some time to digest this Major League Baseball trade deadline, kind of understand exactly where the, the players were all falling, the chips were falling, and the money was moving because a lot of this has to do with retained salaries and uh, options that were picked up or, or opt-outs that are available. Dan Soman and I wanted to get our grasp as best as possible on most of these teams and moves that were made. That's the discussion for the next bunch of minutes here in terms of uh, teams that did some winning, teams that did some losing, some buyers and sellers, some names that didn't go that we thought would go, what it means for a couple of teams who did what they did, not just this year, but also next year, and uh, some surprise moves, right? The Mets, of course, at the top of this conversation with now over $150 million retained for 2023, already about $50 million retained for 2024. Yeah, it's about making up for some mistakes at this point in time. That's what the owner basically said, not only out loud, but to Max Scherzer on his way out the door. And now we're at a chance we're to, to digest this roster, which, by the way, is not completely ripped apart. Okay, There's plenty of money here, and Dan and I kind of discussed what that might mean. Are the Mets not even done yet? Is there more, more flare and fireworks coming from Steve Cohen and maybe a new front office in the next couple of months as we head toward the winter? We'll start with the Mets. We get to a lot of other teams and a lot of other players that moved or didn't move the past couple of weeks. That's next. All right, Dan, welcome back to the show. A couple of days ago, we kind of preceded what was going to happen in the last 48 hours in terms of Major League Baseball and the deadline. And I think it exceeded our expectations uh, to some degree. A couple of stars that didn't go, and we'll talk about them. A couple of stars that did go. Uh, I guess we have to get right back where we left off, which is the Mets. That's the uh, the only team kind of to start with here. Do you agree with the sell-off in its full capacity in terms of Verlander and Scherzer and two outfielders and the and the closer? Yeah, I actually think they maneuvered. The, uh, they handled this sort of perfectly for the situation that they were in. I mean, um, we've talked a lot about how this was constructed, what they did in the offseason, the expectations coming into the year. By all means... I, they like sort of pushed a lot of chips in to go for it this year um, with what they've done. And by, by all accounts, it really just didn't work out and it was disappointing. So when you um, really taste, take on some risky um, contracts for aging players, if you will, um, you're depending on that to go right in the short term and it didn't, and they had to pull out. Now where I thought they really did well was you know, the Steve Cohen willingness to put money behind, um, you know, getting out, (laughs) getting out of those deals. Right. So you and I had talked quite a bit offline about potential trade packages. If Scherzer Verlander would even move. Um, I had trouble thinking they could move just the contract alone um, while still getting prospects in return. And, that kind of bore out um, to be the case. They included a ton of money. I, I, you might want to touch on that a little bit better than I can, but they included a ton of money to get very high end prospects in return um, and really rejuvenated their, their farm system. So they're really not, they're probably, I, I think Steve Cohen even openly said, we're not really contenders for 2024. We expect that window to reopen in 2025 in the following years. So okay. um, I that, that's where I want to focus, Dan, real quick, before we do talk about some of that money. We, t- we talked a little bit about the post Scherzer move and what the Mets were going to look like and where this was headed. 
And we kind of thought this was coming. I think you were in on the Verlander stuff more than I was, but we're here. And, and there's there were five high-profile trades, tons of retained cash. The problem I have is this, and this is what I was alluding to last time as well. They're, they're saying 2024 is not applicable anymore, basically. That's, that's basically the answer Steve Cohen gave to Max Scherzer. We're going to kind of punt on 2024 to reset for 2025. What does that mean for the $34 million shortstop and the $20 million closer and the $21 million center fielder and the you know the $11 million Jeff McNeil utility player? What, what does it mean for those players on this roster? Because there is a world where the starting nine for this team next year can still compete in the, in the NL East. There is a world where four more trades happen this winter, one of them being soon to be expiring Pete Alonso arbitration contract, right? I mean... Where does this all fit? How do you how do you say what you said in terms of where we're pushing towards twenty twenty five, which to me alludes to some of these prospects are going to grow into this into the team into the major league role, and we're going to be a young, thriving you know prospect group from twenty twenty five forward. How can you say that when you've got literally two hundred million dollars locked into six position players right now? It's a good point. I don't want to take what was said at face value. I think that was a lot of public relations um, under promising, hopefully over delivering next year. Now, I don't and, think... Were they trying to get Max Scherzer to accept that trade? This is a take I have not heard and I thought about it immediately. Did Steve Cohen want Max Scherzer to accept that trade and that's why he said what he said? <laughs> I get your point. I think it's a part A, part B and standalone... Mm-hmm the moves wouldn't make sense without each other. Um, Like Scherzer has an expiration date on his career, right? He's probably eager to go to a contender, be, be a contender that, that trade them holding money, them getting a legitimate prospect. Who's like not that far from the major leagues. um, Same thing in the Verlander deal. They're like, they are not, how do I say this? That it's a, them spending that money was a blessing and a curse at the same time. It could have been really good if things worked out this year. It didn't, so it was a curse, and they needed right. to kind of get out from under that. Now, like I, to your point, they have a, a number of expensive pieces to the point where they're not just going to rip this all down when their prospects are close to the majors ready to go. So, uh, so what I think they did is just got rid of these massive contracts that were not going to outperform that the players were not going to outperform those contracts and they kind of just punted and I, they're underselling what is possible next year. Now I don't really think they're going to be a contender against the Braves. The Braves up and down have a better, a Mm -hmm. a better lineup, but they could still, if things, you know, if things go break right for them, they could still be a wild card contender next year. I, I am pretty confident in saying that with rebounds from some of the players that they have, um, maybe a step forward from some of those young guys, Brett Beatty, uh, Alvarez, um, yeah, yeah, right, you know, et cetera. So I think what that they were downplaying their their contention window for 2024. Now, I don't really think it's a World Series contender. I just think they're like a very competent team next year um, with like a World Series window opening potentially in 2025 with them bolstering that what the pieces that are there and the prospects that they just acquired, they're going to spend again. They're going to bolster that lineup with free agent acquisitions at some point. I just hope it's not these high-risk, you know, $40 million 
player, you know, 40 year old pitchers, but that, that's just a high risk environment to be operating in. So they're a must watch team this winter. Um, because if the plan is to do more, they have very attractive pieces, extremely attractive pieces. And I, I have to say this, you know, they traded two starters and a relief pitcher. Now we know that David Robertson has been covered, right? Edwin Diaz is already on this roster for the next six seasons. So he's covered. They, they basically have one starting pitcher heading towards 2024. One, Kodai Senga. He's a good one, but it's one. So was the, was the answer to Max Scherzer basically, we're not going to go buy pitchers this winter? And, and in turn, that's going to make us a limited team? Because if that's the answer, I get it. You know what I mean? Because everybody else is sort of set up in that regard in terms of the division and maybe even the National League, right? We talk, we're going to talk about the Dodgers and how deep they are and how much maneuvering they can continue to do. Is, is part of what happened this, this past week for the Mets trying to bolster assets that's the way I think about this team right now. It's not about what, what the roster looks like next year, or even in 2025. In, in other words, and you and I talked a little bit about this offline. The three major prospects that were acquired um, in, in the Scherzer and Verlander trades, are they part of the future? Or are they simply going to be trade chips in order for the Mets to acquire the kind of pitching that they're going to need that doesn't require throwing $45 million at a 40-year-old again, right? I mean, they've got to take a different approach. I just don't know if I see 2025 coming into focus unless the plan is to start flipping some of these assets immediately, right? The pitching is the smoking gun here. Big um, time. How do they address it? I mean, that's an organizational, like I, I've been harping on that more. I lean into like just pitching development philosophy is organizational wide. It's not easy to just flip a switch and get pitchers um, mm -hmm. and develop them. I don't know how they operate going forward, but I think when you don't have a track record of, of major pitching development success, you're better off maybe not spending $80 million on two players and trying mm -hmm. to reallocate that money towards more of a portfolio approach. Now it's still hard to do that in free agency when players cost so much money, but maybe they can acquire some cheap veterans to pair with young up and coming players. I mean, we see this with like Kyle Gibson on Baltimore acquired Kyle Gibson. That was so unsexy at the time. And it's paying real dividends right Huge. now in terms of him stabilizing that, rotation with a bunch That's of why rich guys. hill and lance lynn get moved every deadline dan exactly, right? every deadline. exactly. <laughs> so, so i i get it there's there's ways to piece that together but i'm not even sure the foundation's there and we you know the pipeline isn't there and the, the pitching pool for the mets whereas other teams kind of have that coming up one of them being texas who we can definitely talk about here soon um i, I just don't know that the that the left side and the right side are connecting right now for the Mets. And part of that could be a front office that is literally crumbling, right? I mean, we think David Stearns is about to come in and take over this operational role. So is, are these moves that Billy Epler is making, are these being kind of, you know, whispered into his ear at this point in time? Is he just kind of like a, uh, a ghost front office executive right now? Or is he just, go is he going to be part of this plan? Because his track record with rebuilding solid, rosters from a pitching perspective is not great <laughs> yeah i agree um with everything you said there i don't i don't know where they go it's a I just, little bit I, of let, me, no let me restate the question the yeah let me restate the question all of this that just happened 
I guess one of the biggest concerns I have, not just as a fan, but as a, as a you know, somebody who watches these rosters and the construction of them, what just happened over the past two weeks, is it actually part of the plan going forward? Or is there a new plan coming this winter when David Stearns actually steps into the role and starts to bring some more momentum into it? You know what I mean? Like, are they going to change course again and then have having wasted maybe something that just happened over the past two weeks? I think to execute a total new plan and like kind of quote tear it down would be very expensive. Now they might be willing to do that, but I think to some degree you need to rely on the offensive pieces that are there um, Mm -hmm. and focus on how you rebuild from a pitching standpoint, because I've read some things that suggest there's some data that suggests you you really only need like three elite pieces on offense to be a legitimate contender, uh, World yeah. Series contender. They probably have those pieces in Nimmo, Lindor, Alonzo, if you want to try and like project mm-hmm. Alonzo being there into the future. Um, so you can add around those pieces, but you, you're going nowhere until you fix it from a pitching side. So I think there's a – all I'm trying to say is I think there's a world where – the offense looks a lot like it does um, mm-hmm. th- this year and that they that the pitching gets revamped, but I don't think that's going to be them just throwing a bunch of money at it. But how do they revamp that? It's a, it's a fair question to ask if they flip some of what they just got or do they try and flip some of like the major league talent that's already on the roster? Yeah. Or yeah. like do they not love Mark Vientos and want to like try and use those guys to try and – acquire some talent either way they need to inject some pitching talent into the organization how they do it i'm not totally clear on right so now. can i can i we'll finish with the mets on this question then because i think we've alluded to it a couple times here the the nationals decided that flipping juan soto for pitching was their best way forward is that how the mets need to operate here dan is there a world where pete alonzo for pitching is is, is the right move over the next couple of months i mean I don't love it, but it, no, yeah, it's fair to say because we've talked about how many huge contracts can this team have and operate without just adding around the fringes, right? I mean, that's where the, what the Braves did, it's so unique, but it, it has, it, there's going to be like a, a compounding factor because they keep saving so much money, whereas the Mets have that much, a similar amount of money tied up in their roster in just a handful of players. So I, I think at some point, like, are you going to really hand Pete Alonso and you're going to have another huge, you know, 300 will, plus million dollars? Will, will he sign it? That, that too. Right. So then if you do do that, are you just in this place where you like the Yankees where the they have, so are you much the money. angels? <laughs> oh, the angels too. Yeah, the, you yeah. got Otani's contract on the future. You still can't pitch. You might be a wild card team. It's just what it feels like. And it's what it's going to feel like next year. There's no question unless drastic changes happen. So I'd hate it for it all to get there, but I, I don't, I don't have a logical surface answer for how the Mets acquire three starting pitchers for the next five years. And and that generally means something overreaction wise is about to happen. The, the saving grace for Mets fans probably is that when organizations get into these sort of issues, typically they're unwilling to spend their way out of it. This is Bingo. one team that is obviously willing to do that. So I have confidence they'll figure it out from that perspective because money is like not if theoretically it's, I mean, we we've seen this spending spree happen before with other owners. I, I think he is 
going to spend it smart, but he's not afraid to spend it. So it could start immediately with Otani. Let's not, let's just, you know, we got to leave, got to keep that conversation alive because he has clearly shown that he'll spend as much as possible to get to whatever point he's trying to get to. And on that note, <laughs> the Mets 26 man payroll right now, Dan is 140. The Mets retained payroll for 2023 is 156. So yep. that is the definition of we have turned a new leaf <laughs> immediately in the past 13 or 14 days. It's unheard of numbers. It's where we are. My biggest concern is that I'm not sure it's answered much just yet. It's kind of, it's changed, you know, you've changed lanes, but I still think they're heading towards the same journey, which is, which is sort of troubling for a team that uh, could find themselves in dead last place here by the end of it all after a, a couple of really rough series. Let's flip to some better news. Um, so, by the way, let's finish it this way because I want to make sure we kind of speak to this. Do you think that what the Mets did was the right decision? Are they essentially a winner from the trade deadline? Yeah, I think they did great. I, okay. I think they did a phenomenal job maneuvering because of their willingness to you know, to eat those contracts. So I think I'm going to butcher it, but there was a Steve Cohen quote leading up to the deadline where he flat mm. out said, I consider this money already spent. So if I can, if we're getting out of these contracts and I can bolster our farm system, I'm totally willing to do that. He literally told us what he was going to do and then he did it. <laughs> so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt in um, these scenarios right now that he will spend and figure a way out of this. <clears throat> Arizona. Yes, they're winners to, to okay. answer your question. Arizona, Texas, Houston, or the Angels? Which team do you think uh, sits atop that list from the trade deadline in terms of what they acquired or what they did? I personally, I think my favorite new general manager or my, my relatively new favorite general manager is um chris young from the rangers i mean what he is doing and how he's Former been doing Matt. it <laughs> super exciting what he did last off season they had the jacob Degrom injury and they just still went full throttle in the yeah. at the trade deadline and i i mean i'm i could be missing someone here but they really didn't give up anything major um maybe ronald acuna's brother becomes a superstar but um the yeah, data on prospects seven hundred million dollars locked up into a second baseman and shortstop for the next 10 years. So I think they're good there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um I really liked what they did. They just add I mean they added pieces that they needed. I like how they set themselves up for that. Um here's the list. Max Scherzer, yeah. Jordan Montgomery, Araldus Chapman, Chris Stratton, and Austin Hedges. That's what it looks like when a team smells the postseason, smells the division, and decides we need to add as much depth across the board as possible. That's what it looks like. That's two starters, two relievers, and a backup catcher, a position that they were struggling to get any kind of production out of. And oh, by the way, a, a nice bench player to have down the stretch here. So it's to me, that's just what it looks like. We knew they can hit. We knew we can score runs as long as the right players are healthy. And it looks like they're going to get healthy at the right time of the year down the stretch. Um, they're To me, they're at the top of this AL conversation right now, you know, maybe head to head with Houston, but this is the, uh, the class of the AL and that's pretty cool. This is a team that's never won the world series before. They've got a world series winning manager now and Bruce Bochy. There's a lot to like here. I don't think they have to get a hundred percent of Max Scherzer. 
You know, this can look a little bit like the Dodgers acquisition of Max Scherzer, especially because they reinforce that with Jordan Montgomery. You know what I mean? So it's like if, if, if they get a, a starting pitcher out of the combined Scherzer and Montgomery situation for the next three months, they'll have enough juice, in my opinion. Yeah, I I agree. And I think it's sustainable going forward as well. Yeah. This wasn't just like a they spent to try and win this year. I I really right. love they, what they they're get doing. Scherzer next year to cover the DeGrom injury. That's an important point. That's right. Yeah, and some of their pro- their top prospects are coming and you know should arrive in the next year or two. So I um the the cost too I I can't stress that enough. Um I, I'm not trying to discount any of the prospects included, but there was like no one mind but you, you weren't really surprised um, by anyone included there. So I think they added at a really cheap price. I liked what they did. Um, I know you said Arizona in there. I forgot who else was on the list, but I yeah yeah. I liked what Arizona did from like an adding around the fringes while not um, forfeiting the future. Like personally, I don't think they're a legitimate, a legitimate division contender down the stretch. I think they're just like a, maybe a year ahead of their timeline. Um, Mm -hmm. But their biggest hole was the bullpen. And they added to that um, while not really hindering any um, roster spots for any young players that might, uh, might come up. So I did like what they did, even though, it wasn't like they didn't make any like major moves, which is sort of what Baltimore did. Similar, similar, um, mm-hmm. similar concept there. So I, I, I thought the, and you're, what you're talking about is Paul Seawald, the, uh, the, the Mariners closer who comes to Arizona. Now I thought it was one of the bigger overpays at the deadline, three pretty strong prospects for Seawald. He he's got a year and a half a term. So he's, he's through 2024 in terms of arbitration. So this was not just a rental move for Arizona. This is a year and a half move. And, and I like that quite a bit uh, for, like you said, a team that's probably turning the corner, probably realize they aren't here right now. They're not, they haven't fully arrived yet, but they could next year. And now they've got this guy through 2024 for a slight overpay on the trade value market. So I, I love it for that. I think that's what they're saying to us is we get it. If we felt better about this, we would have made three more moves, you know, similar to what Texas did. They didn't, they sort of limped into it, got one real important piece for 2024 they might be, you know, a free agent acquisition away now this winter from stepping into the role in 2024. So I, I'm there. That's that's a fun team that could get even more fun by January 1st with a, a nice signing or two to, to go with these prospects who are starting to grow up right before our eyes. Um, let's flip to a negative, right? Let's go positive negative here. I, I'm going to I might I might surprise you with this one. I, I have Houston as a loser at this deadline despite the, the Verlander stuff. And, and, and I want to talk about this from, you know, the nerd standpoint, not so much the, what this team's going to look like in October and having this guy back in the fold and whatever, all, all that's true. There's no question about it. Did Houston do this the right way, Dan? Because I don't think they did. In terms of acquiring Verlander or I having guess, to acquire um, him. Well, uh, yes. Uh, well, sorry. No, no. I, I don't. They should have had him to... all along, right? This is just the guy who he wasn't declining at the time. He won the F and Cy Young last year, right? He took you to the promised land. They tried to be the Houston Astros and say, we can do this without you. Okay. And they undersold him. Sure. sure. Steve Cohen went crazy on that contract, right? He, he had the barometer and Max Scherzer's contract. So Verlander knew what he was worth the second he walked into the negotiation room. 
shouldn't the Astros just have gone there and added the third year and added the vesting option, which was the, that was the trigger. It wasn't about the dollars. It was, I want to have a three-year guarantee to some degree built in so that I can finish my career out after that. Houston didn't, they kept it at two. The Mets went the third year and that's why Verlander, you know, spent what, 19, 16 starts as a New York Met and then had to be acquired to come back to Houston for two monster prospects, two absolute monster prospects. So it's not about the money. Um, to me, it's about the process, but I want to throw one more point into this and have you speak on it all. Did Houston need a starting pitcher? I, I, the funniest freaking thing was, A, the, the, their metrics are off the chart. They're top three in basically every advanced pitching stat in terms of a team. And the, the day after they acquire Justin Verlander for two master prospects, they throw a no-hitter. I, I think it's just, you know, sometimes baseball is, uh, is kismet. And that was one of those moments, in my opinion. I, I'm just not sure they needed this, let alone giving up what they gave up. Um, I will slightly disagree there. I think from a playoff perspective, I think their starting rotation is loaded in terms of high end talent, especially you right only now. Need three, right? I mean, the four is really nice though, but it's the depth beyond that. There's really nothing and they have nothing to lean on in the minors really. So, um, I, I could see – so altogether, your point is totally valid. Um, I, I The Steve Cohen price tag probably took it to a place where the Astros were uncomfortable. Were they being slightly cheap? I, I totally am not willing to um, – no, they were being advocate. logical. They were being logical and the Mets were being illogical. There's no question about that, right? Yes, but the fact that they had to cough up these two prospects to get him back, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is not great. They did – not they're really not spending much money though on it so like there's a little bit give and take how you want to build i don't think it's great that they gave up these two prospects but i guarantee they have um faith in their development system to kind of replace those guys if they think this is another year like we've talked about this i personally think the astros window is closing to some degree not not closing shut they still have a lot of talent there but some of their um core pieces are aging a little bit now coming into the year I thought the Astros had I, – I thought their ro- starting rotation was the biggest question mark a lot because of the depth. They were going to lean on mm. um, a number of guys that had never really thrown over 140, 150 innings more than once, if you will. Um, now, again, they still have the high-end talent there. They added Verlander. They have legitimate pieces there. I think the depth in the starting rotation is slightly shaky, but um, – to your point, it was sort of an expect, expensive prospect cost to pay um, for something you could have just paid for six months ago. I think, but I, I just don't I, like the I just don't like the move. I mean, Urquidy's supposed to be back here in a couple of weeks. He's going to be a reinforcement to that rotation. I realize the Lance McCullough stuff has been a bust since they gave him the extension because of his arm issues, but I I just think. There are there are much worse four man rotations heading towards the postseason than what the Houston Astros had before Justin Verlander came back. And by the way, you're not wrong about the closing window. Altuve and Bregman both expiring contracts after 2024, so they're on they're on an 18 month plan here unless extensions are coming for those players. And Kyle Tucker's arbitration is basically up after that point as well. So there's there's three or four core position players essentially ready to expire on this, on this roster. So it's either they're going to rebuild this thing on the fly or they're going to jump all in 
this year and next year and then slam this thing shut and start the process over, which seems to be the way they tend to go in Houston. So uh, I get it from that perspective. I, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm jaded now because I'm such a Mets fan and I'm spoiled by Steve Cohen a little bit here. But if you've got a guy and you're in the window, just pay the guy, just pay him, just do whatever you got to do to make sure it happens and then deal with the, you know, the backside of things later. That's been baseball's mentality since forever, right? Since the, you know, the two thousands turned here, but um, I, I don't know. They're, they're still one of the preeminent AL teams. This made them better. This made them better in the postseason. Uh, that's probably as simple as how they're, they're identifying things right now. But I just don't like to see this kind of process have to go down. I'm a sucker for prospects, even though, you know, one of my favorite tweets I see annually at the trade deadline is basically if you can get a major league baseball player instead of a prospect, right? <laughs> because one, the I, knowing is everything. The knowing is everything. The data suggests roughly one out of five prospects that get traded like this even have yeah. a cons quote consequential career. Yeah. So it's not something to lose sleep about. Um, there's one-off examples of um, you know, right. elite players getting traded in situations like this. But yeah, with the Astros, I think it all comes back to your confidence in the rotation. Um, I think the Verlander trade is a big stabilizing piece for that. I, like I, I'm just looking at Hunter Brown through a hundred, mm -hmm. you know, through only 20, you know, not that many innings um, last year, Christian Javier, Javier took a step, quite a big step back. So I, I think that's a nice stabilizing piece to add, but expensive. Leave it at that. A couple of players who didn't move and your thoughts on them. I'll start with Nolan Arenado. Um, St. Louis did basically everything we thought they were going to do in terms of trimming the roster on what has been just a disastrous year. They didn't move Goldschmidt and they didn't move Arenado despite some rumors uh, of being linked to his hometown with the Dodgers. He's got four years left. We know Colorado's paying a boatload of that. Is this the right decision? Is this the sort of mini version of what the Mets are? Let's keep a couple of our stars in Goldschmidt and Arenado and just see if we can kind of plaster this thing back together in 2024 and, and just kind of wash 2023 away from us. I think there's some of that for sure. They have a number of nice pieces still. Um, mm -hmm. They have some prospects that could theoretically come in and help or be traded for additional help. It's really, again, the pitching staff, like the Mets, the pitching staff, they need to figure that out. Yeah. Um, and until that gets sorted out, I, I, I don't know where they go. And I, I guess I'm getting a little, I'm having waning confidence in that front office that they get this figured out, just how they ha have handled some development of players. Um, you heard Jordan, Jordan Walker, even like talking about how he feels like they kind of confused his um, offensive approach a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I guess I, I, like so the Arenado stuff never really made sense to me, particularly because he just chose to not opt out of that contract. Like unless <laughs> he went there and was like, this is falling apart. I want to leave now after only a couple months. Um, I think that would kind of be bad optics. Um, I, 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 as soon as that report came out, I half wondered if that was the team inquiring mm. about that, putting that out there. But um, I don't know anything about that for sure. Just the, the timing of it kind of was weird to me, but, Theoretically, them looking to move on um, from aging guys like Goldschmidt and Arenado would be a, a smart move, like in a vacuum. But um, yeah, I guess that's all I, I have on those guys. I, I thought they did fine. They were not in a great spot. I don't think anything they did really. I don't think anything they got in return is going to really wow me. But 
Um, you know, you can't lose Jordan Montgomery for nothing at the end of the year in a clear, clear um, seller's market for pitching, right? So moves like that just had to be made. <clears throat> yeah, uh, for, for the most part, they're winners for me. There's no question about it. Eduardo Rodriguez, this one is really fascinating. He's a starting pitcher for the Tigers. He spent some time in the IL, but when he was available, looked every bit the piece of a top of the rotation type pitcher. Um, I have to uh, you know, imagine most of the contenders at least sniffed on this one and the Dodgers had a deal in place. And Erod basically said, thanks, but no thanks. He vetoed the trade via his 10-team no-trade clause, and he will remain in Detroit. He has an opt-out after 2023 in just a couple of months here available. And I know you're of the mindset he's absolutely opting out for you know his third major contract in, in Major League Baseball. What do you think went down here? You know, why would it, why would a player like this, even if you know free agency is headed headed his way, why would he say no to going to the Dodgers even for just a couple of months here? I, I really don't have a clear answer or thought process on this. Um, yeah, by the way, his answer, his answer publicly was, I didn't want to want to, I didn't want to move my family to Los Angeles right now. <laughs> which is interesting. I don't want to, I, I definitely, when this came out, I definitely leaned on some mental side of it. And I don't mean like he has a me- like mental issues or anything like that. Just that, Mm-hmm. Um, there was probably more to the story, especially knowing that he just went through some sort of family thing last year, which caused him to miss a lot of time. He ended up yeah. going home. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not inferring any of that is related, but I just feel like there's more going on in this person's life that, um, he had a reason for this. Now, typically we see with these limited or no trade clause, limited trade clauses, players will, put kind of surprisingly in my opinion put contenders on them a lot of times but like Lance Lynn for instance had an option he had a lot of the contending teams on that who would trade who would theoretically trade for him um if they wanted to trade for him he would only waive that Mm -hmm. that condition because there was an 18 million dollar option for 2024 that he wanted picked up so in those instances, it's used as leverage. He didn't, it really wasn't in this case leverage in my opinion, but at the, at the same time, I think he's going to, if he wants to opt out and does opt out, he's going to get paid either way. Um, so it, I I sort of want to take him at his word for like, I don't want to disrupt my family for three months. And maybe he has some like personal issue with LA or Maybe he has bad experiences from pitching in Boston, doesn't want to go to a major spotlight market like that again. I don't know, but those are just kind of um, the things I leaned on. I know you have some theories on it. Well, I think that's ideas. the I think that's the best approach, the best theory out there. And again, we're not inferring or you know assuming any of it, but it, it does make sense based on what he's saying. Um, but there has to be some contractual stuff happening here. Um, my guess is the Dodgers tried to either get him to opt in, exercise immediately on this trade and or made a contract offer, right? Made some sort of extension offer as part of the trade in order to make sure that he, this wasn't just a rental for them. They wanted him to be Kershaw's replacement next year immediately or something like that, right? And it was, you're going to come here for two months. You're going to exercise the opt out and then we'll extend you to, you know, we've seen this kind of happen before. It's kind of like a tack on extension that that will uh, you know show up in 2024 and begin next to April. My guess is that was on the table 
And he said no. And if I had to guess why, A, I think he thinks he can get more from a, a you know a non-contending team like he did with Detroit this last time around. B, there's a world probably where Detroit has that an offer on the table already, right? A pretty sizable offer to keep him because they need it. I mean, as much as anybody needs starting pitching, the Tigers are in that conversation. So I, it's possible that he simply just said at the end of the day, I want to stay here because I'm going to have the money I want here in the next couple of months. I might as well just ride this out and not relocate my family for you know, three months just to see this thing out in Los Angeles. So I, I would guess it's a combination of both. Didn't want to uproot himself for a couple of months and the money situation favored him to stay because of whatever's coming down the pipeline or you know something that obviously he knows that we don't. But it's, a, it's an interesting situation. A lot of times what happens with this, and I'm a little surprised this wasn't the approach, is the team just kind of works out a scenario to get him to take that trade. Knowing he's going to opt out, knowing he's going to sign back with the Detroit Tigers. That's, I'm a little surprised that that didn't happen. Are, are you with me on that? So that the Tigers get some assets, then they get to sign him back at the price that was always going to be there in the first place. I know there's a lot of wink-wink and a lot of things that have to go right for that to work out, but I'm going to guess Detroit tried like hell to make that the plan, right? See, I'm not on board. No, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming I, a lot of things there, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, well uh, my only point is I think both are ready to yeah. be done with each other from different standpoints. Like whatever happened last year. Really? Um, yeah. I think last year it's, it's to me, from what I can gather, there was some, there was some family things on his side, personal issues on his side, but there was some disagreement with how he handled it and that he stayed away from the mm. team for as long as he did. I think there's a little bit of an issue there between the team um, to the, point where a he can get, go get more money elsewhere um but i i sorry let me rephrase this i yeah. think the team signed him and hobby Baez last year as like a ramp up to we think we're ready to go now we have seen things with that organization change big time since those signings were made i think that they are they are they want an eject button on that they don't mm. need to get rid of him because he still is cost controllable but it would have killed two birds with one stone clear spot for younger guys and got them a prospect in return if they were able to trade him instead he's now more likely to opt out for nothing at the end of this so i think it's un very unlikely he returns there mm. um especially like hey, there will be a market. I know people think he sucks. He had a bad year last year. He was unproductive, et cetera. The fact that the, the, the Dodgers came calling, kicking tires on this, I think is some signal that he's a talented player and they think that they can maybe squeeze a little, even a little bit more out of him. So I think it is, I think to paint a broad stroke, I think both points are true. I think he wanted to just leave his family. If I'm assuming a lot also, I think he wanted to leave his family alone and then have, um, you know, the ability to kind of go where he wants in free agency next hmm. year. So, all right, that's fair enough. Another team that you want to bring into this conversation? Do you want to bring the Padres in and their mini buying, despite the fact that nobody thinks they have even a chance to sneak into the postseason? Um, Seattle's little mini sell, which I thought was pretty intelligent for the most part. Uh, you know, the fact that Toronto kind of bulked, bulked up a little bit. Cleveland sold. I mean, that Cleveland swap is super interesting with Tampa Bay, who, again, just kind of made uh, some tinkering moves here. There's a lot of teams, and, and I think it has to do with 
the single deadline versus, you know, having that August waiver deadline available and a heck of a lot of parity. You know, the AL East has four teams over 500, all trying to do something. And I guess I have to throw the Yankees into that conversation too, right? And, and really, you know, a lot of nothing here heading towards August. Where, where do you stand with some of those teams as we, as we close up here? So I'll just do the Angels Padres together. We talked a lot about the Angels already mm-hmm. in past episodes, but those were two teams we we thought should be sellers, but thought figured they would probably lean towards buying. Two different um, reasons, I, too, right? I mean, you can understand the Angels doing it, but explain to me why the Padres, you, you think, outside of the fact that their GM is just an antsy, crazy guy, why yeah. did they feel like they had to do it, you know? I really don't know. I think it has some degree with just they don't want to ever put the white flag up right like i saw i wish i could give credit to who i saw say this but somebody compared it to like you're at a blackjack table and you have 100 bucks <laughs> left in your account and you're going to keep throwing it at you you're yeah. going to throw that out there thinking that'll be the 100 dollars that gets you even right even though your your bank account is empty right the angels and the padres both we feel like could have taken this opportunity to sort of restock themselves with good they have good pieces on expiring contracts or close to expiring contracts instead they doubled down went for it and there's a pretty solid chance they don't even make the postseason so i guess that's kind of like i don't hate the moves that they made it like in a vacuum but just considering Mm -hmm. the overall context of where they are and where they well where i think they should be going i didn't love i didn't love it but yeah, I mean they brought in some legitimate vets. There's no question about it. I mean they, sure. they they're acting like a team. They're acting like the Rangers. Right? They're acting like a team that's looking to get deeper at every position group uh and that's maybe the only thing that they need to turn things around. They're going to have to go on one hell of a run over the next, you know, 25 days here to make anything work because they're under 500 right now, but I I just don't know that that's it's look it's not my money. It's uh, that's always the the smoking gun here. It's not my money. And it's not my team to deal with. And they've done plenty of work on that roster. I just think, you know, at least opting for Hader or Snell and getting something in return so that there's, at least, you know, it's possible to buy and sell at the same time. We've seen a lot of teams do it. To me, that was the approach for San Diego is at least get something somewhere. And then if you want to try to bulk up depth wise with some nickel and dime pieces and try to make a run at the same time, do it. But I just, at the end of the day, to have nothing. I, I think that was the wrong approach for that team. Yeah, I agree. They, in my opinion, they were in a prime spot to add two because their farm system's end. junk, right? I mean, it's the yeah. They have man. a couple. They have a couple high end guys, but beyond that, the depth is not great. Um, right. I, I mean, they had they were in position. Blake Snell was probably the best pitcher available, like theoretically, mm-hmm. like in terms of how he's performing this year. Josh Hader might have been the best reliever um, slash closer on the market. I think they were in prime position to add two top 10-ish prospects, maybe mm-hmm. a package of top 20-ish prospects, um, something along those lines, which can kind of go a long way. But if they think they're in contention, I guess like I, I'm not going to fault them necessarily for for – you know, pushing the pedal down, but it's just not really where I would go with things. So talk to me about Cleveland trading Aaron Savali to Tampa Bay for a monster hitter in Kyle Manzardo. Super rare that we see a team this close, um, with this close to a division, um, Mm -hmm. lead and with, 
I, I know people will roll their eyes at me, but with pitching needs right now in the short term, like they traded Aaron Savali and immediately said who is pitching for us on Friday. Um, <laughs> but that's a testament to a them getting an offer they couldn't refuse and be cashing in on a player's peak peak trade value. Now, this is not to degrade Aaron Savali at all, um, but he has spent a ton of time in the last couple of years on the injured list. Um, he his his metrics are sorry, his numbers are far outperforming his advanced metrics. Um, mm. Not to say that the Rays can't like help with that or that he's just a player that can outperform his, um, you know, mm-hmm. numbers a little bit, but it just felt to me like the Rays really needed a pitcher. They're a little bit better set up to make a legitimate run, whether it's a division for the division and or in a wild card race. Um, they have a the Rays have a bunch of first base, um, DH ish prospects that this was uh, they sold from an area of need, uh, sorry, a position of strength, um, mm-hmm. to get a pitcher that they really needed desperate. Now, I, I'm Cleveland sort of did that as well. They need a first baseman long-term. They've been literally scrambling for a power-hitting first baseman for a decade, basically, at this point, um, since really Carlos Santana prime sort of days. Um, But, yes, again, they need pitching. They're tapping into, like, Xavier Curry or Cody Morris at this point. So, um, And they're in the thick of a division race. I just think that the the offer was too good to pass up. Um, Kyle Manzardo was thought of like a top 25 overall prospect coming into the year. Um, he's had a down year this year, but there's some personal stuff going on. Um, mm-hmm. that it was a huge name to move. We, we don't yeah. see those kind of prospects go at the deadline uh, on an annual basis. That's for darn sure. Um, and these two teams linking up, uh, you kind of alluded to it. It's interesting because th- we, we see both these teams as maybe the two best development teams in all of baseball in terms of the pitchers and even some of the, you know, the position players as well. Uh, you know, I, I just think with Manzardo, Tampa Bay looked at him and said, this guy can barely move. He's not an athlete that, you know, the game's going on a different direction. And with Cleveland, you said it, you know, they need legitimate bats around Jose Ramirez, who's now locked up forever, you know, basically a career contract with, with Cleveland. And I, I think what they, what they saw from, you know, 95, hundred games here is they're just not enough power in that lineup. They're one of the, the least powerful teams in all of baseball in terms of home runs and extra base hits, this, it, it addresses one of their needs immediately, you know, and, and that's rare to do with two teams like this who kind of live through the development process. So I, I loved it. You know, they, they trimmed some fat in Rosario and Josh Bell in terms of Cleveland's payroll and things like that. So it's, uh, it's, I think that's the exact perfect example right there of a team that's in the middle doing a little of buying and a little bit of selling and it might not work this year, but it might work gangbusters in 2024 and 2025, which is how I thought teams like the Padres should be thinking. But um, I, I, I imagine you're as a Cleveland fan, you're pretty happy with this. Oh, I'm ecstatic with <laughs> what they did, how they maneuvered it. I thought, yeah. and I nothing against Josh Bell either, but like as soon as you have the chance to get Manzardo, you, they, they want to, promote him and advance him quickly he's going to be probably Mm -hmm. a starting uh, a starter uh, on the starting roster in 2024 um 
with Josh Naylor and Josh Bell, you, you just didn't have room for both of them to split first base DH. Um, so it was good for them to be able to get out of that contract basically and sort of add a, like a post-hype prospect. I mean, a lot of people don't think he's a legit prospect anymore, but Khalil Watson was a first-round pick just two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty good on them to to sort of clear the path for a high-end guy they just acquired um, while also still adding another kind of high-ish and pro- uh, not high-end. I shouldn't call Cleo Watson a high-end prospect, but you know what I'm trying to get at. So I thought they did really well um, considering. So in a Are unique we- situation, you just flat out don't see teams like quote punt on this year when they're so close to a race, but you don't see Kyle Manzardo type prospects dealt very often at the deadline either. <laughs> quick, uh, quick update on the, on the money as we uh, approach now the dog days of major league baseball where things get important according to our numbers and i still i still have some tinkering to do with some of these trades and retain salary and things like that as that information becomes available i've got eight teams right now over the 233 threshold um most of those teams are playoff contenders so that's a good thing although not the top three right the mets at 377 out of 233 are going to be out of this the yankees at 295 they need a heck of a run, but I think they're going to be out of this. The Padres at 282, we believe, are going to be out of this. That's your top three tax payrolls right there. Talking about significant tax bills come September and October. Um, the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Blue Jays, the Braves, and the Angels are all teetering on that line. Uh, the Dodgers appear to be certain taxpayers. There's a world where the Angels and Braves can still do some maneuvering here, but I think those eight teams are going to be over the threshold. Um, what does it say for 2024 in terms of the repeater tax and the new tax tiers and things like that um, in terms of the Yotani race? Do you think it just it doesn't matter, Dan? Most of those teams are still going to be involved. The Yankees, the Mets, the Padres, the, the Dodgers, at, at least the Angels, of course. Yeah, I have trouble i have trouble seeing them letting that get in the way quite honestly like it's i mean again not our money but it is funny money in a lot of ways um if you have the chance to acquire a generational player like otani i don't think anyone's gonna um necessarily let that Uh, the the luxury tax which we've outlined is really um a slap only on the wrist. Super, yeah, it's only <laughs> super penalizing when you get way over the luxury tax and multi, a multi-year offender. So, yeah, um, which the Mets will be, which the Mets will be, which is a compound, you know, uh, infraction when you start talking about a roster that's far from complete now, and you're going to continue to pay. This is what the Portland Trailblazers looked like for a bunch of years in the NBA. They were they were annually the top team in terms of tax and cash being handed out with a couple of superstars and they just didn't have a roster. They didn't know how to build a roster that could win successfully for, you know, eight months of a season. And it was just ludicrous. You, they were literally just pissing away money left and right uh, for, you know, for a couple of showcase players. I'm kind of concerned that's where we're headed with the Mets. I, I'm positive. We've been there with the Yankees for a long time who just can't put this thing together uh, for any sort of momentum season. The Padres looked like they're down that path. And uh, and then you got some teams that look more complete, right? Toronto, Atlanta, the Dodgers, Philly, and I don't know where I can put the Angels. And then Texas, who got a heck of a lot more complete over the past couple of weeks here. So there's a lot of co- a lot of good happening here uh, with the way that rosters are being constructed, 
teams that are kind of tinkering over that tax line, like you said, get taking the slap on the wrist and just continuing to move forward. Then you got the, these teams, and I, and I want to finish on this, Dan, quickly because we've we've run kind of long here. Chicago, the White Sox sold. The Cubs bought a little bit. I know where you stand on them. The Giants bought a little bit. I mean, a real little bit. And Houston sort of just did their Verlander thing and, and is going to move forward. Houston sits, I don't know, $25 million or so underneath this, this, this first tier of tax cap. Are they, just, are they ever going to spend like a big boy? Right? I, I mean, you know the White Sox are sliding backwards. You know what Seattle did? They sold off some significant parts to get themselves in really good shape for next year. Uh, and the Cubs kind of brought themselves up to light. But which team do you think underserved themselves this year? Um, should, the, should the Cubs have gone more in? I know you were big on them to start, and I know that that division is trash. But when they well, saw what when they saw what was happening with St. Louis, and it's not like Milwaukee's you know a burner of a team at the top of that division. They're not, and they they tinkered at this deadline a little bit. Should the Cubs have pushed? way, way in right now and to try to make a run? Or do you think they just are identifying what the heck they are? No, I, I liked the, the finesse that they kind of tried in the off season. Like, like we had talked about, they had some young guys up and coming um, who yeah. should arrive in the next couple of years. I thought I had said that I got the impression that they thought they were a little bit further ahead, that they would start going forward and this would be the off season. But by no means do I think, um, they should have tried to operate in the deep end and sign one of the biggest um, mm. free agents just because it would have been maybe jumping the gun a little too early. Like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just not there in terms of like they were ready and should have spent more. Now, the Astros, I think it, 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 you could have just made that like you made earlier the case, just pay Verlander that money that yeah, you had. They had the room. Um, they've had the room the entire year to, to, to afford that kind of a player. Right. Yeah. So that's where your point earlier, are they just being cheap coincides with this? Are they ever going to spend? I, I don't know the answer to that. Like maybe that, that excess has a Kyle Tucker extension is mm -hmm. earmarked for like a Kyle Tucker extension. I'm not really sure, but um, mm -hmm. I guess I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Houston, Houston would be my answer. Yeah. <laughs> okay anybody else we got to get to here we we didn't really talk baltimore who sits atop the al east they didn't you know they took a flyer on jack flaherty but really nothing outside of that um what does it say about the baltimore orioles quickly dan they're just gonna ride it I, out yeah i thought it was fine they just wanted to add a veteran to stabilize mm -hmm. give them some innings stabilize that rotation i don't have a problem with them I, I didn't really think they would make a major move for like an expiring contract. I thought there was a sleeper chance they made a sneaky move with one of their higher end prospects for a multi-year contract um, for a, mm. uh, with a pitcher that like kind of no one was talking about sort of thing where you're like, oh, that guy got traded, which we really didn't see any of that no. in this deadline. That That's what no. surprised me is like that Air, like Arenado name came out of the woodwork at the end. Um, that surprised me, but there was like no pitcher or anybody. Um, I thought there was a chance you Darvish was going to be that pitcher. I, oh, I thought there was a chance the Padres had done that with Darvish because it seems like he's sliding backwards for that team right now. And if you're a team like Baltimore, just looking to solidify at the top, you take a flyer on that and it's not the dumbest move we've seen, you know? Yeah. Just a lot of money, I guess, to commit a lot of money, a lot of money. Yeah. That was pretty premature. That extension, right? <laughs> Ready? Quickly. 
does Baltimore win the AL East? Um, no, 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 I think it's Tampa. I think it's Tampa. Does Minnesota win the Central? No, no, no. It's a yes or no. (laughs) Um, Minnesota, yes. Yeah, they're going to stabilize. Texas or Houston? Hmm. Texas. Well, this is a. I'm fully biased, but Texas. Okay. I mean, the Braves have basically already won the NL East. Cincinnati, Milwaukee, or the Chicago Cubs, all within clear reach here. Cincinnati did nothing. Oh, I. I kind of like Cincinnati there. I don't feel strongly about anyone there, though. But mm. um, Stroman on the IL hurts the Cubs for sure. Uh, they've they've taken a step back, but they didn't sell Bellinger. They didn't sell a couple of the pieces. Yeah, so, that was maybe the biggest surprise, right? Because yeah. like they they were if not to not to drag this out more. The Cubs point though, they were a team also that I thought could have like t- like they signed a number or signed slash had a number of expiring contracts or opt-outs that they could have flipped, got more pieces to bolster and kind of went for it next year. It was a little bit surprising that they held on to those guys though, in my opinion, but mm-hmm. um, that might be my biggest surprise from the deadline is the Cubs not moving on from, from like Bellinger and Marcus Stroman. <laughs> Keep yeah. going. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to say Milwaukee overtakes Cincinnati, even though I don't like their team uh, as much as I, I have in the past years. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Dodgers giants. And I guess Arizona's within striking distance in the NL West the Dodgers but for the record I did point out the Giants as a really sexy um pick coming into the year I believe they were like 12 to 1 but mm-hmm. that's just a pat on my own back that their the closing line value is where it's at right now so <laughs> <laughs> um okay Yankees are out oh yeah only three and a half out of the wild card right now, Dan. And Toronto's banged up a little bit here. Lost their uh, yeah, closer, I'm sorry. I thought you meant division. Stuff. For the yeah. wild card, there's still... If there's a team that could rip off yeah. 22 of 30 or something like that, I, I think the Yankees could go on a run here. I'm just... I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. They look old. We thought they were old, and they look old. <laughs> okay. We got our obligatory Yankees talk in, so we can, uh, we can officially close <laughs> this thing up. It was a nice deadline. Uh, we don't see this much kind of flare and fireworks often in Major League Baseball. We see it a lot in the other sports. But um, look, if owners like Steve Cohen exist, maybe this thing will become an annual tradition, right? Where big names move because teams are willing to pay some money to get them out and buy some prospects. And I'm going to guess that's not something that other owners are, love seeing, right? It feels like the Mets might be the elephant in the room right now, not just for what they did in the offseason, but for now what they're doing at the deadline, which is, again, just all financially backed. It has nothing to do with savviness. You know what I mean? It's simply, I have money to throw around and I'm, I have more money than you do. And I'm going to start to win because I have that kind of money. I just don't know if that's going to translate to a roster that's worth a damn. So we'll see where we get with that. But it's a, uh, it's new. This is a new thing for baseball. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy it's here because it gives us a lot to talk about. We'll, uh, we'll catch up soon with a bunch of things. We got some playoff odds to get to. We've got some, 2024 free agents to get to some extension candidates to get to some trade candidates to get to with uh it's the time of year where we can start thinking about 2024 and i know it's a lot of work for you so i appreciate it awesome thanks for having me